This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back into the Lions podcast i am tyler donahue we've got quite the eventful final week of february to review here uh, on this episode of the podcast in just a moment we will break down the addition of 2024 commit uh, kari jackson out of west bloomfield high school up in michigan uh gonna break down that three guys now on board he, he is on board with anthony specka in-state linebacker and then in-state offensive lineman cooper cousins to help get better context on where penn state is in that 2024 class building process tyler calvaruso from lions 24 7 will join us in a matter of moments uh, he will also look ahead to another scheduled commitment for this week that is expected to potentially impact this penn state class as well and we also have a coaching staff change to discuss john scott jr following three seasons with this Nittany Lions staff, heading to the NFL, going to be with the Detroit Lions in 2023. We'll break down that impact on recruiting, talk about what is happening in that defensive line room as spring practice is just a couple weeks away. And, of course, we'll be monitoring all the potential candidates as James Franklin searches for a replacement over at Lions247.com. But first things first, we bring in national recruiting analyst Alan True, had the breaking news story up at Lions247.com for the Kari Jackson commitment. Uh, as always, Alan, we appreciate your coverage at Lions247.com whenever anything pops up. And certainly something notable here on a Tuesday, a composite four-star linebacker making his decision. Yeah, uh, Kari is a guy that I think we thought Penn State led for. He recently released the top seven. He'd been on campus for junior day and spoken really highly of that, uh, but didn't necessarily expect to see him pulled the trigger quite this early. I think the more that he thought about it, uh, the the kind of leftover feelings from that visit helped move this forward. And if he saw the place he wanted to be, why kind of carry this out and wait through spring and summer and all of that? And so I, I think this is a really good pickup and a nice little bit of uh, good news pushing them out of this dead period. Yeah, and Alan, obviously we're going to see the recruiting visits take shape in the month of March. It's going to be the next phase for this 2024 recruiting class. But you talked about the timing here. Jackson had opportunities to go explore new campuses. He had official visits in his pocket come spring. What's the sense you got for why February 
uh, was the right time to do this for him. You know, he's, he's always been a kid who I think approaches the game and recruiting with a little bit of a no-nonsense approach. He's not a, a guy who's going to drag the process out just to go through the process just for the sake of it. And I think he really felt comfortable at Penn State, really liked the staff and the culture there. And it's linebacker you. So I think with that, you know, why why bother visiting some of those other places or carrying this thing out longer when you know exactly where you want to be? Uh, when it comes to Kari, I know that, that he's in, in your wheelhouse up there in Michigan, a guy that you've had a chance to see in person. The stats were certainly impressive from his junior year. What did you see on the field to match up with that um, coming off of his third high school season? Yeah, so first, you know, to give some background, he's been on the radar for a long time. He was a really, really good youth and middle school player. Actually, the first time I think I saw him live was at the UA next eighth grade game where that happens right before we're, you know, we're on the field for that right before the Under Armour All-America game. And I noticed there's four guys from Michigan in this game. And Kari was already, you know, a big physical player back then. So that was actually the first exposure. And then he goes to West Bloomfield, a really good high school that obviously I think Penn State had been in there for Lance Dixon. And uh, they had a couple other players on that team like Donovan Edwards and Makari Page now at Michigan, Dylan Tatum that's at Michigan State. Pretty loaded team that he was able to step in on as a freshman and contribute and start. Then he goes down to IMG for a season and then comes back to West Bloomfield and really didn't miss a beat as far as that goes, had over 100 tackles. Uh, and that was only just in, I think, six or seven games because he was injured during the later part of the season. So you're talking about a guy with a real nose for the football, a guy with a ton of experience, kind of your classic Mike linebacker, a guy who is going to, he, you know, you can't run right at him, I think he's shown that he can go sideline to sideline a little bit, and he's going to be a guy who fills the stat sheet uh, with those tackle numbers. Yeah, I think he averaged about 12, 13 tackles per game as a junior on the field. Uh, Alan, when you kind of push it ahead, looking toward his senior year, what are you looking for in terms of growth? He is a very high three-star. He's a top 40 linebacker prospect in 24-7 sports evaluation, but not at that four-star level yet like he is in the composite what are you and fellow scouts uh, going to be taking a close look at Jackson when he hits the camp circuit and eventually puts the pads on again for a senior season? Yeah, one thing I didn't mention, too, in that last part answer was that West Bloomfield plays a really good schedule. So it's not mm -hmm. like he's rolling up over 100 tackles against a bunch of teams that don't have other prospects or teams that they're blowing out. Like they play really, really, really good teams. Um, and so th that makes it even more impressive when you consider his production. I think as a senior, and even before that senior year happens, I think what we would look for him is some sort of measure of his athleticism. You know, at this point, he hasn't been to a camp where we have an official time from him. He hasn't, uh, you know, we don't have shuttles. We don't have those kinds of things. And I think these days for linebackers, that can be a little bit more important than it used to be because linebackers now are three down guys. Offenses are so spread out and multiple. Those guys have to be able to cover and do some things in space. And I think that would be the thing that he could show as a senior. Let's, uh, you know, 103 tackles. Awesome. I think he'll do that again. If not, eclipse those numbers with a, a full season under his belt. And if we can see some of the range and ability and coverage, I think that would certainly help him move towards or into that four star range. So until you get to, to see that potentially blossom as part of his game, listed 6'2", 215, discuss the tackle number, uh, numbers. Are we talking about a box linebacker? Right now, are we talking about a guy who could be that position versatile, scheme versatile kind of a fit, uh, come to Penn State and be a guy who could cross train? 
Yeah, I think he is already. I, I don't think Penn State honestly would have taken a guy that they felt was pigeonholed into just a run defender or a one or two down linebacker. And they had a chance. They were out here during the season and they saw him play live. So I think they're comfortable with what he can do as a three down guy. I think for us, it's just, can he do that better than the guys that are currently in the two, four, seven to be able to jump some of them and get into that four-star range. But I don't have any questions about that necessarily. He's already been asked to do, they played a pretty sophisticated defense at West Bloomfield. So I think he's already been asked to do multiple things. Um, that's just kind of the next step for him is to show even more of that, to be able to get into that four-star range. But as far as it being a concern, I don't necessarily see that. Number 36 linebacker and 24-7 sports evaluation with an 87 rating. Of course, Alan True and company will be keeping tabs on Jackson as his career continues to develop at the high school level. Alan, when we look at Penn State getting this done with a player from the area, we're just a couple cycles removed from them having a real big splash up there. Kobe King played a lot at middle linebacker this year. Kalen King looks like he could be the next All-American cornerback uh, for the Nittany Lions. Uh, you know, just a couple names there out of that class, but – Tim Banks was part of that process, and, and he has been he has moved on for a while, went off to Tennessee, uh, Detroit native, did really good in the recruiting trail there on behalf of the Nittany Lions. But now that the dust has settled, we have some separation. We have another commitment from the area. How do you think Penn State is represented in that region right now on the recruiting trail? Yeah, it's funny. I think you mentioned Kobe King. I think Kari is, has some similarities to Kobe, both from good high school programs, both physical, smart linebackers. But I think with Penn State, you know, sometimes you see a school lose kind of their a primary recruiter in an area and they'll just get out of the area. That hasn't been the case at Penn State. I think they've really should, they've almost emphasized Michigan more. I think after the loss of Tim Banks, they've thrown uh, it hasn't just been, uh, hey, let's just put one coach in there. It's been a by committee approach. And I think that existed some. Prior to that, Tim Banks got a lot of the credit because he's a Michigan native, but their staff as a whole has been in Michigan quite a bit. Terry Smith has helped out in Michigan for a long time, has really good relationships there. Coach Franklin himself is a constant presence. You know, anytime that they play against Michigan or Michigan State uh, here in Michigan, the coaches are very visibly out at high school games and they're here in the spring for those evaluation periods. And I think with the success that they've had in the state, um, they've wanted that to continue no matter who's on staff. So I have no doubt that as long as James Franklin's the head coach, no matter who the staff members are, they're going to throw several coaches into the state of Michigan. They're going to position recruit the area. And I think they've done a really, really good job of that. I think some of the coaches who have had to step up in that time, Anthony Poindexter being one of them have done a, a really fantastic job. And when I talk to the high school coaches here, it really feels like they've known them for years and years, even though some of them are a little bit newer to recruiting the state. Alan, I want to finish with you with a big picture on the Big Ten. Penn State obviously plays a couple teams from Michigan every year. Ohio State's right there. Um, and, and then Penn State going into Michigan, getting players. How contentious is Big Ten territory in the Midwest right now? Is it at an all-time high? It just feels like the arms race ramps up every single cycle. And with USC and UCLA now on the doorstep, it doesn't feel like that's going anywhere, specifically the area that you are so focused in on. Yeah, I think that um, you, know, you typically expect it to have the Big Ten rankings to have Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State up there as the top three in some kind of order. And so those arms races are, are always going to happen there. I think where it's gotten interesting is that everyone else in the conference has really stepped up. 
think Michigan State's approach under Mark D'Antonio was typically you take more sleepers. And they did really great with that. You know, they found the Le'Veon Bells and the Kirk Cousins of the world under the radar. But Mel Tucker recruits now very nationally. He recruits down south. He's he's going toe to toe with the big boys. And so I think that that's up to Michigan State's recruiting profile. Um, and now when you look at that side of the conference, you've got a number of dynamic recruiters um, with with guys like P.J. Fleck already there. You add Matt Rule to that. Iowa and Wisconsin, uh, now with Luke Fickle going to Wisconsin and Iowa has, I think, up to their recruiting efforts significantly as well. They used to be similar to what I just said Michigan State would do where they were a developmental program. They still are, but I think they recruit nationally much more than ever before. So I think when you look top to bottom, even schools like Maryland with Mike Loxley recruit extremely well. Uh, Greg Schiano at Rutgers recruits extremely well. Everybody in the conference has taken it up a notch, and that's produced some really interesting battles. I think some of those schools are nipping at the heels of that one, two, three spot. But after that, that number four kind of through 10 in the Big Ten recruiting rankings every year, that changes hands a lot throughout the course of a cycle, and there's some contentious battles there. Alan True does a fantastic job covering everything in the Big Ten territory and beyond for 24-7 sports. And certainly when Penn State is in the wheelhouse, uh, he's all over that as well. We appreciate the coverage with Kari Jackson here on the podcast and up on the site. We look forward to the next time around we have you on here. Yeah, sure won't be the last. Thank you. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Let's shift gears and, and keep it local now with Tyler Calvaruso from lines247.com for a little more perspective on what the Penn State Nittany Lions are adding in Kari Jackson. Hey, Tyler, how we doing? Doing well, man. Any day you get the chance to talk about a commit, it's a good day. We could have a busy week on our hands on the Penn State recruiting topic. We have a busy week on our hands from the staff situation. We'll talk about that in a bit as Penn State now needs to replace a position coach. But getting back to Kari Jackson, who we just heard a great breakdown from, from Alan True, um, third commitment on board for the 2024 class. And I'll start with the same question I asked Alan. Why was this the right time for Jackson? And why was this the right time for the Nittany Lions? I would say his visits just went really well. He was on campus in the fall for a game visit. He made his way back to Happy Valley in January for a junior day visit. And the big thing that Jackson has really bought into is the culture at Penn State and what Manny Diaz is selling from an on and off the field perspective. And from Penn State side of things, they've really liked Jackson throughout the process. He's been really high on their board. I know there might be higher ranked guys out there, but Jackson's been higher than some of those guys on Penn State's linebacker board. So there was a desire to close on him. And if you looked when he put out his top seven, you know, it always seemed like a very winnable recruitment for Penn State, given who some of the other competitors were. And the feedback coming out of Penn State visits versus the feedback coming out of those visits. It was pretty clear that Penn State had was 
the apple of Jackson's eye, really, throughout his recruitment. He loved both of his trips to campus, the one in the fall and the one in the winter. Had rave reviews about the staff coming out of both those visits. Loved the game day atmosphere during the fall inside Beaver Stadium. So it was kind of the perfect fit for Jackson, and Penn State felt it was a really good fit as well in multiple ways. So the timing, everything just lined up. Jackson's top seven that you just mentioned, it was Penn State, Central Florida, Cincinnati, Missouri, Maryland, Wisconsin, Stanford. And by the way, Stanford is probably as selective as any program in the country in putting out scholarship offers because of reasons beyond the football field. I noticed in looking at Kari Jackson's offer sheet as well, he's got some Ivy League schools on that list. And that's something I wasn't necessarily aware of when we were just looking at the prospect profile from an athletic standpoint. You package those two things and I'm starting to get more of a complete picture of what stood out to James Franklin and his staff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that's also what stood out to Jackson as well. Penn State did a really good job of pitching the academic side and life beyond football and what the opportunities that it has to offer in that regard. So both sides really came together, discussed that angle hard, and that's what made Jackson really comfortable. And like you just said, that's what made the Penn State staff really comfortable. I talk about culture fit. They have felt that that's what Jackson is. They think that he's a really smart kid who's going to come in, work his butt off, do what he has to do on a daily basis, and just be a guy who's respected in the locker room at the end of the day. And Jackson feels that he's comfortable with the Penn State staff, and it's a place where he could grow as a person and as a player. So, again, perfect fit in a lot of different ways. Timing comes together. Penn State has itself a new linebacker just before we start March. So, it's a pretty good way to start what is going to be a live period. We spoke for about a, a year on this podcast about Cooper Cousins waiting for some company in the 2024 recruiting yeah. class with Penn State. He's got a couple linebackers now with him in this group, and I want to take you there next to that position group. It's Anthony Specka, who's been on board for, what, five or six weeks at this point, and then Jackson come on board, both highly productive high school linebackers. But can you compare and contrast these two prospects and what they may ultimately bring to the linebacker room at Penn State. Definitely, and I wrote a little bit about this in the uh, commit analysis that I put out shortly after Jackson popped for Penn State. So Speckett and Jackson are similar in some senses, but they're also vastly different in other senses. When it comes to instincts, they're very similar. Speckett, we've talked about him being such a high IQ player who kind of knows where the play is going before the offense even knows where it's going. Jackson's similar. He, he reads gaps really well, hits holes hard, snuffs out run plays. You can see the it's evident on tape. And he plays a good level of competition in Michigan. He's not racking up 100-plus tackles in just seven games against mid-level competition. He's playing high-level guys out there. So for him to be able to showcase those instincts against really good teams kind of says a lot about him, just where he's at from a football IQ perspective. Now, where the differences come in, I would say Jackson's a better athlete than Speck. I think there's a little bit more positional versatility there. A lot of Jackson's reps have come as a Mike throughout his high school career, whether he be at IMG Academy or in West but the fact of the matter is, I think his athleticism affords him a little bit more positional versatility than Specka. I don't think Penn State would have moved on Jackson if that wasn't the case because Specka is kind of, you know, we, and we've discussed it with him where he's your traditional run stuffing early down backer. Jackson's not that guy. I think he, he's not a guy that you have to take off the field on third down because he's limited. I think there's definitely some versatility to his game. He's a good athlete. He's not. I don't think he's necessarily a standout or elite athlete at the linebacker position. No, he's not necessarily Tony Rojas or KV on keys, but he can still get the job done in that regard. You know, he makes some plays sideline to sideline. You'd like to see him maybe. I think he's solid in coverage, but I think that's something that he would like to improve upon because he drops pretty well. But you know, doing that at the Big Ten level is a completely different story. So 
there are some similarities between the two, but I think the two also play off each other really well because Jackson's going to be able to do some different things in Penn State's defense. Again, I don't think that's – I don't think Manny Diaz would have moved on Jackson and been so high on Jackson if he couldn't do that. If he was kind of limited, Penn State wouldn't have been all over him as hard as it was. So I'd say Penn State, you know, it's early in the cycle, but right now they have themselves two pretty solid linebackers in the class. And after signing what Manny Diaz referred to as an elite trio of linebackers in the 2023 cycle, two of them are on campus. Kavian Keys will be joining them this summer. Uh, and it's been a bit of a mixed bag for Penn State recruiting linebackers out of Michigan in recent cycles. Lance Dixon, who, who Alan True mentioned from the same high school as Kari Jackson, was a five-star in 24-7 sports evaluation, spent a, a little bit of time here at Penn State, ended up going to West Virginia without making much of an impact prior to that transfer here in Happy Valley. Uh, Jamari Budden was here a couple seasons. He has transferred out of the of the Power 5 level for 2023. And then Kobe King, uh, a guy who I think very well is going to con continue to compete uh, for a lot of reps at Mike Linebacker in year three. You add a, a, a player here in Jackson. What those other three I mentioned have in common is they all took red shirts in year one. Early projection. Still have a lot ahead of this young man. He could be a different physical uh, form this time next year than he is right now. But what's your early projection on early impact potential with Jackson? So I think Jackson could stand to add a little bit of upper body strength. He's already six foot two and two fifteen, though. So from a physical standpoint, we're not talking about a guy who's lagging, right? You know, he, he's kind of there already, and he's trending in the right direction physically. But when I when I talk about early impact with Jackson, I take into account the, the current linebacker depth chart and. I'm also taking into account how the likes of Keys and Rojas and Tamir Robinson come along and the impact that they're able to make as true freshmen because that will have a direct impact on what Jackson's able to accomplish when it comes to moving up in the two deep and you know earning some playing time. So I could definitely see a redshirt year in his future. I, I still think there's plenty of developing that needs to go on with Jackson. But again, it's something that we circle back to time and time again on this podcast. If you come in and show, that, show the staff that you could play, regardless of your experience level, you're going to get the opportunity to earn yourself some reps. So if Jackson comes in early, you know, we're going to have to see whether or not he winds up being an early enrollee or a summer guy, depending on when he does get to Penn State. And obviously it comes down to, you know, getting that signature in December. We can't get ahead of ourselves in that regard. Mm -hmm. But assuming this is indeed where he winds up and when he gets on campus, he's going to have the chance to come in and compete. But if I had to put my money down right now, I'm leaning more towards redshirt year. But, hey, we'll see. It's February. You know, we'll see how he comes along as his senior year. He could be in for his big senior year, and we're having a completely different conversation in a couple months. And the timeline for enrollments with the 2024 class is something that we'll get a continued sense for it as time marches on and guys start to formulate their academic plans, what's feasible, what's not in terms of whether they can get to campus in January or they may be waiting until next May or June. Uh, that's a little bit down the line here, but just a couple of days from now, Tyler Calvaruso, uh, we've got another commitment announcement that has been set that involves Penn State. It's certainly a hat on the table and with a chance to be much more than that, uh, Kenneth Woesley out of Philadelphia, a name that we've discussed here uh, on your most recent appearance on the podcast last Thursday, has Penn State on his short list, and he's ready to step up and announce where he is heading. Yep, March 3rd, Woesley will be making his decision at Imitep, and Penn State sits in a really good spot ahead of that decision. That's been the case for a while now. We've had that crystal ball reading 100% in favor of the Nittany Lions since the beginning of the month. I believe I put my pick in on February 2nd. Brian Doan followed suit, I believe it was last week. So Penn State has been trending here for a while. I do think that this is going to be a recruitment. I've said this before and I'll say it again, that this is going to be a recruitment that probably does go the distance because the schools who are involved with Wolsey aren't going to stop 
with a Penn State commitment or wherever else he may pop. Nebraska is a school to watch, I would say. I, we'll see, I, I've mentioned Nebraska pretty much since that new staff arrived there with Wilsey because it seems like there is some intrigue. You got to keep in mind Omar Hales, was, he's a Philly guy, and he's on that rules staff in, at Nebraska. So that's a big deal. He's going to look to get there regardless of his commitment. He's going to look to visit Nebraska. So I'd say that's something to keep an eye on. Michigan's gotten in in this recruitment. You know, they've been involved for a while. There are some good relationships there as well. So this is another situation where you always talk about you having – staffs having to recruit just as hard after a kid commits as they were beforehand. This is one of those situations because Wolves is still going to be examining his options. He's granted he's very high on Penn State, and the Nittany Lions are sitting probably in the best spot ahead of his announcement date. But regardless of where he lines up, he's going to be hearing out other programs. From the same program that produced Shaka Tony and all Big Ten defensive end at Penn State, you've got second-year linebacker uh, Keon Wiley out of Imhotep as well. Um, and then with Wosley, it's the final four of Michigan, Rutgers, Penn State, and as you said, Nebraska. He was at Rutgers and Penn State in the month of January. Uh, three Big Ten uh, – three uh, I should say four Big Ten squads here present. Uh, Penn State, though, has those crystal balls. And if they are to get Wosley on board – what kind of an early in-state message would that continue to send? Because that would be three of, of what I believe are considered the top 12 players in the state of Pennsylvania in these 2024 rankings early on. Just comes down to the staff really wanting to keep the, get the best in Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania. That's the message every single cycle. And if they are able to indeed close on Wosley, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? You're going out and getting that many top-level guys in the state so early in the cycle. It speaks to the staff's efforts. It speaks to where the priorities are. And, you know, maybe it opens the door for other in-state guys to take an even harder look at staying home. You know, Quentin Martin is one that obviously comes to mind more so than anyone else. And it's a big deal getting Wolseley because if you do get him, it comes back to something else we've also been talking about. It opens the door back up in Philly at Imitep. And that's important because that is a program that is loaded with talent that Penn State would love to have in Happy Valley. You know, there's a fierce steward, the three-star interior offensive lineman from Imitep. He has Penn State among his finalists. You know, I'm sure we'll get into him a little bit later, but that's just an example of what landing one guy at a school like Imitep could do for you. It can open the door for other guys to get in and create somewhat of a domino effect. So landing Wolsey, it goes beyond adding an impact player in your secondary. It's a renewed emphasis on recruiting the state as hard as you possibly can, and you're opening the door for a powerhouse in Philly to you know, maybe send some more guys your way. So this is a multifaceted recruitment for Penn State for sure. It's a Friday commitment announcement. You can check out the results of that and, and the feedback from it at lines247.com, whichever way Kenneth Wosley goes. It's going to be news on our site. Uh, and ultimately, this is a four-star composite cornerback, number 32 in those composite rankings at the position. He's number 38 in the cornerback rankings for 24-7 sports, a high three-star prospect, a guy that we said could certainly handle himself in that nickel role, uh, play inside against a slot, wide, uh, against a slot receiver, or on the perimeter as a cornerback. He's going to bring that kind of a versatility to a college defensive secondary. And we will talk about Philadelphia recruiting more in just a second because we've got a, a, maybe a coaching note on that as well. But just a few other names to know here as guys are starting to formulate their favorite list. And we'll get right into it with, with, with Sam Williams-Dixon. Running back, because we talked about running backs at length last Thursday. This is a guy out of Ohio, picked up that Penn State offer last year, and now he's got the Nittany Lions on his shortened list. Yeah, he's one I didn't bring up last week, which I probably should have, considering we knew this top five was coming down. But, you know, hey, look, this is a Midwest recruitment where 
an Ohio State offer for Williams Dixon would be a really big deal. I don't want to say that he's necessarily hunting for that offer or holding out for that offer because he does have a high level of interest in programs like Penn State and Kentucky. Those are two programs that are pretty heavy on his mind because he's got a good relationship with Jay Wan Sider. But as an Ohio kid at Pickerington North now, he's making the move over to that Ohio public school powerhouse. If he gets an offer from the Buckeyes, that's a game changer for his recruitment. You know, that's really just the fact of the matter in this situation. And I think when it comes to Ohio State potentially getting involved with that offer, if he goes to pick North and balls out because they play a really high level of competition, they're one of the premier programs in the state. If you could do that at that level, I think that kind of opens a lot of eyes in Columbus and could potentially lead to an offer. But from a Penn State perspective, Williams Dixon, he's been on campus. He really caught the staff's eye last summer when he camped, pick up, picked up an offer coming out of a really standout camp performance where he tested well, did a lot of good things and running back drills, catching passes out of the backfield, a lot of stuff like that. And got back to campus in the fall, really enjoyed his trip. And that relationship with J1 Sider has really grown nicely, I would say, as his recruitment has progressed. There's definitely a trust that's been built there. And the important thing to know with his with Williams Dixon's top five is that he's planning to take officials to all five of the schools that landed in the top five. So that kind of outlines his plans for the spring and the summer. He's going to be on each campus during the spring, and then he's looking to return in the summer. So I'd expect him in town sooner rather than later. This is going to be a recruiter we're keeping a really close eye on and the running back board in general. Because when you're talking about running back recruiting this year, you also have to keep in mind that, you know, Quentin Martin being such a wild card, there's always going to be a spot for him, right? So if you're Penn State, how selective are you when taking another running back? I think that's something that's very important in how this running back class is going to come together. You mentioned Kentucky, Rutgers, Tennessee, also on that Ohio State looming um, if they if they decide to, to make that proactive move there. But um, he has seen a game at Beaver Stadium. That's always a good thing uh, for the Nittany Lions and, and planning to get back to campus and following that up to add more information and insight on what the Penn State Nittany Lions can offer him. Uh, Zafir Stewart is a name that you just referenced, and, and he does have that top list as well. Offensive lineman out of Imhotep in Philadelphia. What do we need to know on him? I think with Stewart, the big thing is Penn State has a real chance to get a second guy out of Imhotep. But I would say that comes down to Penn State's offensive line board and the decision that they want to make. Because as important as it is to you know recruit in the state and land guys at premier programs in the state, Penn State's not necessarily in a position where it has to reach on a kid and might not be 100% sold on. I'm not saying Stewart is that, but just generally speaking – if they're not 100% sold on an in-state kid, they're not really in a position where they have to reach and take him just for the sake of taking him, right? You know, the interior offensive line board is loaded right now. William Satterwhite from Akron, he's high on the board. He's high on Penn State's shortlist, and he's high on the Nittany lines. DeAndre Carter out in California at Modern Day, you know, granted, pulling a Modern Day kid who's top 100 in our rankings would be a hell of a get for the staff and be a difficult one at that. He's a guy who's also higher on the board and someone the staff is pushing for. So, It'll be interesting to see where Stewart falls at the end of the day. The general feeling is that if Penn State pushes, it could have him. But we just need to see. And we need to see where Stewart's timeline is. We need to see when he gets back to campus. A bunch of stuff like that. We just got to see where the cards really fall with him. Well, we're talking about some of these Philadelphia recruits. Uh, when we talk about Philadelphia staff presences here in Happy Valley, of course, we mentioned Terry Smith and his role. But, of course, you got to look at Dion Barnes, who was – a Northeast high school standout before coming to Penn state and becoming a big 10 freshman of the year. And he returned to his alma mater as defensive coordinator at Northeast high uh, before he came and made his way here as a graduate assistant and now an analyst on staff, but 
reason that Deion Barnes is also in focus right now is because you look at potential candidates to replace John Scott Jr. You think internal as a possibility, and Deion Barnes is very hard to ignore. Let's start with the fact that John Scott Jr. is moving on, heading to the NFL with the Detroit Lions following three seasons uh, with Penn State. I'm told this was a very bittersweet decision for the defensive line coach. Really liked what he was provided at Penn State, like the situation he had, like the room he had and the athletes. There was a good connection there, the staff around him. But the call to the NFL outweighed those things ultimately. And so let's start with the loss here. Um, John Scott Jr. having to fill that void. What's your initial reaction? Because you had a story up on Tuesday night as we were able to get confirmation, or on Monday night as we were able to get confirmation before Scott's departure, quickly laying out the initial case on what Penn State faces on the recruiting trail with this. Yeah, it definitely was not an easy decision for John Scott Jr. He did a lot of good things at Penn State on the development front, and he'll I think he'll definitely be missed in that department, you just look at what he was able to accomplish with guys like Odafe Ola and PJ Mustafer that just this past season, you know, coaching him up to the point where he's probably going to hear his name called at some point in the 2023 NFL draft. So he'll definitely be missed on the development front. That was a strength of his. And from a recruiting perspective, you know, it really just comes down to the fact that he was never really an ace recruiter for the Nittany Lions. He did net some good results on the trail, no doubt about that. I mean, we saw it last. He went to the portal and got Chop Robinson, and look how impactful he was. So he was able to definitely add some quality players to Penn State's defensive line room, but he was never a huge recruiter. Development was more of his strength, and he was able to sell that development on the trail, and he was able to sell his NFL experience on the trail as well. So that's something Penn State might miss. But if you do choose to promote internally and Barnes winds up being your guy, he played in the league. So, you know, there's still that element. You could still sell that, you know, I know what it takes to get to the NFL kind of pitch. That would help Penn State. And also promoting from within, it kind of negates the fact that Scott Jr. is leaving at a time where visits are about to start back up. And whoever does become the next defensive line coach, let's say Penn State does decide to hire externally, they're going to have to build relationships with Penn State's top defensive line targets pretty much on the fly ahead of official visit season which is, I would say, an unenviable position because a lot of those relationships take you know years to build up to where you have that kind of trust and that comfort level. That's always a difficult thing for a new position coach who's coming in from the outside to do. So if that's something, if Penn State does go outside the family, I'd say that poses a little bit of a challenge to the new, new hire. It's not the end-all be-all necessarily because some guys are just so good at forming relationships quickly and earning that trust of recruits, whether they've been in their lives for years or a couple weeks or a couple months. Some guys just have it like that. So we're going to have to see what Penn State decides to do if they want to stay inside or go outside. I do like Barnes for this gig, and here's why. I, I've heard the counter-argument to that being, oh, he's a little bit green, you know, he's young. Coaching at either level, college or NFL, guys are getting younger and younger, and they're being hired to prominent positions. And why not Barnes? You know, he's done some really good work at Penn State. He was John Scott Jr., one of his trusted lieutenants. He was a trusting sounding board. He played a big part in the 2024 defensive line recruiting board coming together. So he's got plenty of legitimacy as a candidate in this situation. And I know everyone's going to circle back to Elijah Robinson at Texas A&M as well. You know, he's someone who seemingly comes up every time there's some sort of opening on the Penn State staff, whether it be defense coordinator, defensive line coach. He's always a name that circulates. So we'll be keeping a close eye on this hire from a recruiting perspective because, again, Visits are starting back up, and you don't have a defensive line coach in place on March 1st. Again, it's not necessary. It's not any sort of death blow to Penn State's efforts at recruiting the position. 
But they're going to move to get a guy in place because they do want that rectified before official visit season rolls around, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, and it's smart of you to emphasize the fact that recruiting is entering a new phase. And let me make the point that we are two weeks away from this defensive line needing to be coached in a spring practice yes, as well. Yes. So time is of the essence here. As you mentioned, Deion Barnes right on the nose there as an obvious internal candidate at 30 years old, has not been a position uh, coach at this level, um, but he's been around this facility now in year four with it as, as a staff member and previously as a coach and has that connection to Philadelphia. There's a lot that you like there. And I would imagine that no one is uh, more well-informed on the worthiness of Deion Barnes as a candidate right now at this juncture than James Franklin as he weighs his options. And we also know that Franklin keeps a list of dozens of names at each position <laughs> for oh, coaches yeah. that he wants to be able to pick up and call the phone and they're ranked based on our understanding. So uh, a lot of names to work through that's already happening on our message boards at lines, 24, seven.com. Uh, we'll have a board up today uh, with a several names of candidates that, that, that we should be keeping tabs on here in the coming days. Last time it was an eight day process from the dismissal of Taylor Stubblefield to the hiring of Marcus Hagens. We'll keep tabs on this. Uh, Tyler, we appreciate all your insight on the recruiting pickup. And now we've got a coaching search to follow and how that's going to, uh, ultimately ricochet with the recruiting world as well. So appreciate that. We'll talk to you real soon and we'll follow your coverage at lions247.com. Thank you, man. Appreciate you having me. All right, let's shift gears now and we'll continue on the topic of defensive line coach with Daniel Gallen of lions247.com, uh, our third guest on this episode. And Daniel, you heard it right there, Tyler laying out uh, the case for Deion Barnes. And, and there's a lot to consider when we look at who could replace John Scott Jr. But this is a guy that, we got to know really well, you for a little less time than I on this beat, but always a great conversation, a lot of insight into his room. And as I, as I said, seemed pretty torn about this decision. Went with, went with, the, went with his choice, goes to the NFL, and you got to look, look forward when you're in this coaching profession, and Penn State now has to handle what they need to handle and what shapes up to be a deep, a talented, and relatively experienced defensive line room. Yeah, you, you make a really good point where so much of the focus, it feels like, is, is on the recruiting calendar with visits coming in, getting someone into this place. But you're right, you know, less than two weeks, spring ball starts. They're going to be out there on the field. That group is going to need someone to be coaching them. And it's a really intriguing group. I went through the, you know, kind of a, a pseudo depth chart last night, and you have a lot of talent on the edge. Uh, and then in the interior, you have some bodies, but you know, a little bit more a couple more question marks, um, especially with PJ Mustafer moving on. But, you know, to start out on the edge, I think the fact that you get to return Chop Robinson and Adisa Isaac, uh, you know, as your, your top two pass rushers, I think that's a great place to start. I think that if you're, you know, whether you're Dion Barnes on the inside or somebody looking in from the outside, I think when you start there in terms of what a defensive line can be and what it can do, you can do a lot worse than starting with, with those two guys up top. Um, and then as you kind of slowly move down, uh, deny Dennis Sutton is someone who I think that we're really looking to see if he can take the next step this year. Um, and I think that that's when you talk about hiring someone for this job. I think that's also where development factors in. Uh, you know, we, I think that, you know, deny Dennis Sutton had those three sacks in the first, you know, couple weeks of the season, all of them were in the fourth quarters of blowouts. Um, and then, you know, we didn't see him get the quarterback on the ground again. And, you know, I think that coming into that position with, you know, his physical traits, I think that we were, you know, he was kind of a, maybe a sleeper for someone who could have five, six sacks really make an impact. So 
I'm really curious to see, you know, what kind of step he takes forward. You have you know, Smith Vilbert, who's a wild card after we didn't see him at all last year. Amin Vanover is someone who I really liked and I thought made some nice plays. Saraya Fisher, another wild card. Um, and then you, know, you just kind of go from there. It's, you know, there's a lot of bodies, a lot of talent. Penn State, I think, has recruited this room pretty well, both from the portal with Chop Robinson, Arnold Ebiketti before him, um, and on the recruiting trail. So I think just starting from that edge and what you can accomplish with disruptive players there, I think that this room is is very intriguing and should be very appealing to someone, whether they're on the inside or on the outside, to take over. And Deion Barnes, of course, had the chops as, as an edge rusher during his time on campus, a, a guy who was that, you know, kind of able to make his mark that way. He's gotten a lot of credit from, you know, whether it was Owe a, a few years ago, uh, Arnold Ebikede, you know, putting in that extra time with these guys. You talk about the, the relationships, uh, the camaraderie that's already in place there. We know, regardless, Deion Barnes is with this team in 2023, retained as an analyst after three years as a graduate assistant. I thought that was a key moment move at the time. We'll see if it takes a step further, if it's someone external. But I think an area that, that I wish I had mentioned with Tyler Calvaruso because we've discussed it in the past. But when you look at what else Penn State may go fishing for in that post-spring transfer portal market, we've discussed it. Defensive interior, right? I mean, P.J. Mustafer has gone. There's some guys that you really like that are on campus. But physically, uh, they've, they've got some pounds to put on. They've got some work to, to ahead of them. You know, Zane Duran, I put him in that category with Denied Dennis Sutton where – They've got that proverbial sky is the limit label attached to them right now in year two. And we're wondering if year two is when they take off and they become uh, preeminent players for this Penn State defense or if that's still a ways down down the way. But you've also you're looking at relationships and you're looking at the ability to go out and get someone pretty quickly here because I don't quite know if they're done adding to this roster and the defensive front specifically inside is where at least I look toward when I think about what else could come on board in late April into early May. Yeah, I, I, this morning I was writing about PJ Mustafer going to the combine and maybe what his NFL draft you know, stock looks like. And I think the fact is, is that a player like him, six foot four, 318 pounds, with that kind of athleticism, that kind of ability, even coming off the injury, that's rare. That's just not walking around, you know, you know, plucking off the street. And I think the same holds true when you look in the portal. Um, it's a similar conversation when you talk about offensive tackles, like everybody wants these guys. Everybody needs these guys, uh, no matter what you already have on your roster. And I think that Penn State, uh, you know, on both the line in 2021 and in 2022, both lines, they really showed what happens when you have depth and when you don't have depth with the defense after Mustafa went down and then what the offensive line was able to do with all the injuries they had last fall. So I think that you look at defensive tackle and, you know, whoever takes over this room, they're going to be tasked with evaluating okay, what do we have here? What do we need? Can Devana Lees be a guy there? Can Keziah Izzard be a guy there? You know, is Zane Durant taking that step forward? Can someone like Caleb Artis make a major leap forward and be able to become a contributor in that rotation next year? I think that when you went through the depth chart at times last year, you could kind of go, you know, six deep, you know, two, two, and two. What You know, when you get down to someone like Jordan Vandenberg, um, who was who was in the rotation at times. But, you know, when you're talking about going up against Michigan, uh, which James Franklin made very clear post game uh, that you need the bigger bodies and you need guys who are able to hold up against some of these offensive lines. And, you know, does Penn State have that, you know, 
do they need to add to that and how can they add to that? I think that last part is really the key when it comes to the portal, you know, looking around and identifying the right guy and, you know, using those relationships that you have, you know, is someone like Dion Barnes connected enough, you know, given that this is where most of his or all of his, you know, college coaching has happened. Um, I think that that's something else you have to factor in. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of, I think, moving parts with this uh, defensive line, especially when you look at the interior, you know, I think the one thing that you have going for you is that it's a pretty experienced group. Um, you know, even losing PJ Mustafer, you know, Devon Elise, Kazai Izzard, um, Zane Durant, those are guys that have played a lot of football uh, for you. And so now the key is, all right, you know, is there a next step there for these guys or do we need to go and, and look on the outside and bring someone else in? And you mentioned him, Jordan Vandenberg, you know, a guy who, who, who did get a, a, quite a bit of run in, in, in last last fall, but it wasn't necessarily consistent. And it was also uh, just kind of glimpses here and there. You know, he's a guy who's relatively new to the sport of football, international prospect. I'd throw him into that developmental uh, you know, group that whoever takes over this job is going to inherit. And there are some really high ceiling potential players. Davon Townley, you know, we're not going to spend too much time because we, we broke down him a lot last week. But making that transition to the interior with that athletic profile that he brings and that length and, and maybe he, he can fill that kind of role in 2024 probably too much to ask in 2023 Zariah Fisher I, I don't think you mentioned him you talked about Smith Vilbert uh, being away from the team on game days all of last season Zariah Fisher working his way back from an injury uh, he seems to be having a good winter workout period for himself so you're getting a, a room that has a blend of guys who have played in the big 10 trenches, a few guys who may be on the verge of taking a major step for themselves because of where they are and, and providing Penn state with something that they have not to this point in their career. But you're also getting a room that is light on experience of leading uh, because Nick Tarburton was a guy that felt comfortable in that kind of a role. PJ Mustafer was a two-time team captain and arguably the mouthpiece for this defense. You could say him or Jair Brown the last couple of years. And now you've got to look at, replacing your coach in that room so that's the one area look maybe it's Devon Ellis he's the guy that we talked to on this subject most recently but that's another spot in the defensive line room that it's not just about matching the talent and the coaching IQ you got to have that leadership in place and, and I think that's something that they're working on already they were working on already but it becomes kind of magnified now that John Scott's voice is out of Happy Valley and heading to the Detroit Lions. Uh, let's shift focus a little bit here, Daniel, because we'll have a conversation about this defensive line room uh, in the near in near future, I'd imagine, back here on the podcast. Uh, but jumping over to Penn State basketball, where we'll finish the show, perhaps they would have let off the show if they had <laughs> pushed it to a four-game win streak, but really a devastating loss uh, on Sunday night in, in the BJC. Uh, you and Mark Brennan covered this matchup. Penn State led handedly early all the way through that first half, things fell apart. Points uh, could not be found for the final 10 minutes of this game, just about. And ultimately, Penn State is handed a loss that seemed unthinkable during during Sunday evening at times. It was, you know, one of the, it was, I think it was probably the, the worst loss that we've seen in, in Micah Shrewsbury's two seasons. Um, I think getting, you know, drilled by Nebraska by 23 at home last year was, was pretty bad. But I think given the fact that, they were winning by so much. And what was at stake on Sunday? Um, I think that this was a, a really brutal loss for the team. Um, and, you know, it's you can't really talk around that. You know, it was bad. Um, but there was it was one of those games where it seemed like everything that could go wrong after they got that big lead really did go wrong. 
know, Jalen Pickett, who's averaging 32 points a game in the previous three games, doesn't take a shot in the second half, doesn't score a point in the second half. You know, Seth Lundy, who came into the game leading the Big Ten in three-point percentage at 44.4%, goes 0 for 11 from deep, 1 for 16 from the game. Andrew Funk, who's second uh, in the Big Ten in three-point percentage, goes 1 for 7. Um, I think you just look at that right there, and you know, it's just such an anomaly um, and just something that you really don't expect to happen. You know, if Seth Lundy, you know, he's going up for that last shot at the end of the game and gets stripped, you know, if he ends up going one for 12, the game's in overtime. Um, it's just kind of, it was one of those games where you put all of those pieces together and it spelled, you know, a, a really, really bad loss. But at the same time, it like it has been for most of the season, the, the way that the Big Ten is set up and the way the NCAA tournament bubble uh, really is there, like Penn State is still not out of it. They've got two more games. You know, they're at Northwestern uh, tomorrow, Wednesday night, and then they have Maryland at home um, on Sunday for Senior Day to, to close things out. You know, Northwestern is is reeling a little bit. They've come back to the pack. They've come down to earth. Uh, and Maryland is a completely different team away from the Xfinity Center. You know, they drilled Northwestern there uh, on Sunday. Uh, they're ten and zero there, but you got to play games away from home. Um, and you, know, you come to the BJC and you know, Penn state plays significantly better at home. So you know, there's still a lot that can happen. Uh, you know, Micah Shrewsbury talked about it a little bit um, on Sunday. And then again, Monday where, you know, they have two more games, they have the big 10 tournament. Um, you know, they're not out of it yet. The season didn't end uh, on Sunday, uh, even if it might've felt like it um, at times during that second half. And I think that that's something that you just really have to go back, you know, through this entire season um, I know there was a lot of conversation after that first Rutgers loss in January, you know, that 20 point loss where they shot four of 26 from three point range, that this wasn't a tournament team. You know, they bounced back and drilled Michigan right after that. You know, then they lose four straight games. And I think that you, I looked at the standings after the third loss to Wisconsin and I was like, this might be it. They're five and eight, you know, three lo- straight losses. The Wisconsin loss in overtime was bad, but then you looked at the standings and they were three games out of second place. Like, it's just kind of the the patience of the year. Uh, just the fact that this really is a marathon. You know, thirty one games compared to you know you get twelve for football. Um, you have a little bit more margin for error, but you know at this point of the year that margin for error is pretty much gone. It's especially gone after Sunday. So we're going to learn a lot in, in these next couple of days. Penn State now seventeen and twelve on the season, eight and ten against Big Ten opponents, and you referenced it a Wednesday night tip. 9 p.m. Eastern time in Evanston, Illinois, against Northwestern on Wednesday night. If you had to guess right now on Tuesday late morning, do you think Penn State answers the bell, or do you think that hangover effect lingers with them on into the road? I think they're in a position to answer the bell. Um, it's going to be sold out at Walsh Ryan Arena uh, in Evanston, and I think Northwestern is another one of those teams where you know, opponents go into Evanston and, and weird things happen. It gets difficult, but you know, Penn State has shook off a couple of their road issues. You know, they won at Ohio State. They won against Minnesota. Those are the two worst teams in the conference, but both of them, especially Ohio State, are talented, and those are wins that they needed, and they got them. And then just kind of hearing Micah Shrewsbury talk uh, on Monday, you know, it's very clear that he's adjusted his tack a little bit after these losses. Um, yeah, I have a story coming up uh, in a little bit online, twenty four seven. You know, notebook rounding some things up, but 
you know, after the games earlier this year, you know, he was really, you know, defiant. He was dejected. He was angry after some of these games. Um, after on Sunday night, he came in and, you know, I think that he was pretty upset internally, but that didn't really manifest too much in, during his post game. Uh, and then yesterday on Monday, when we talked to him for a while, he seemed, you know, pretty content, pretty optimistic. And he said that over the course of the season, he's learned that if he gets frazzled, the team gets frazzled. Uh, and that poison confidence are, are very important with this team. And that also applies to him. Um, so he has to be poised. He has to be confident. Um, I think also, you know, for him borrowing from James Franklin and that want to know mindset, I think that that's been helpful to him uh, as a coach a little bit and something that that he's leaned on. Um, so, you know, I think that at times, you know, during that four game losing streak, um, things felt a little you know, a little tenuous, it did sort of feel like things might go off the rails a little bit, but I think that Shrewsbury has done a, a very good job um, of, you know, you know, finding the right tone with this team, telling them what they need to hear, that'll get a response. And I think that he'll do that on Wednesday night. Um, I think that, you know, him going to bat for Seth Lundy uh, on Sunday night really speaks a lot to, you know, Shrewsbury as a coach this year. Um, and, and Lundy's place on the team, um, you know, he was asked if you know he ever considered benching Seth Lundy uh, during the game. And Shrewsbury said that that's the leading you know, three point shooter in the Big Ten. Like he's not going to he's not going to bench him. Um, he's going to ride with him. I know that you can make the argument that, OK, maybe the offense should have tried something a little bit different. Um, but, you know, I think I agreed with keeping Lundy in and letting him shoot because we've seen him make some bizarre three pointers this year. Um, and so he's going to keep shooting and some of them are, are eventually going to go in. He's still in first place in the big 10 and three point percentage after going over 11. Um, so I think that speaks to the type of season that he's had and to see Shrewsbury go to bat for him, I think sends a, a really good message for where this team is right now and, and where their, you know, I think mindset is. Well, from one Shrewsbury to another, we've got just a few minutes left on this show, but you recently got out to, to see Braden Shrewsbury in action, and he is at State College High. Uh, so an easy local prospect to go check out. He will be making the transition to Penn State hoops in just a bit. He signed with the program already, uh, planning on joining his father, one of those really cool and rare opportunities to coach your son at this level of college basketball for Micah Shrewsbury. But focusing on Braden, uh, Daniel, what stood out to you in observing him uh, and ultimately what he's going to add to his pops program? It had been about a year since I'd seen Braden play. So going from his junior year to his senior year, having a, a full year to get to be in state college and, you know, around the BJC around, you know, you know, Braden Shrewsbury is someone who's been around high-level athletes, uh, you know, from the time that that he was a, a very small kid. When you think about uh, Micah Shrewsbury's time with the Celtics, so I, you know, I think that seeing the growth in him physically and in his game was was very clear. Um, I think that he fits what Micah Shrewsbury, uh, you know, wants this team to be. I think that you know you could put him onto the team now, and his skill set would mesh in um, with what he's able to do. You know, with especially with the outside shooting. Um, you know, you're going to lose uh, Andrew Funk and you're going to lose Cameron Winner um, after the season. Two guys that, you know, I mean, Funk has been a gunner from three and and Winter hasn't been shy from shooting it out there either. And I think Braden Shrewsbury will be able to to step in, um, you know, be an outside shooter. I think the physical development is you know obvious from last year. Um, you know, we see him around the BJC a lot and, 
you know, when we were coming back and, you know, in the fall and we were, we started to be around again and we started to see Braden and, you know, November and December, you know, a couple of us would look at each other and it would be like, Braden looks a lot bigger now. Yeah. I think that it was, it was just very noticeable to see that, you know, he's still growing, uh, you know, he's still putting on that mass. Obviously everyone, when they make that jump, they're going to need time in the strength and conditioning program, you know, to really round out. But I think that it's been very, you know, I think his development has been very clear and I think he'll be an asset to Penn state next year. Um, you know, and he's the type of player where, you know, he can get hot and state high can make a run now. Um, you know, they play Friday night in their sub-regional uh, against either a district eight or district 10 opponent. Uh, and then they'll start the PIAA tournament on March 11th. Um, and I think that they're a team that, you know, if Braden Shrewsbury's hitting, you know, from outside, if he's distributing to his teammates, which he did a really good job of when I saw him, you know, I think that state high could be pretty hard to stop. And, you know, you know, usually with some of these teams in, in central PA, whether it's around Harrisburg or up here with state high, the real test comes when you face a team from Pittsburgh or from Philly. Um, and I would be very curious to see how state high matches up in, in the six, a classification. Braden Shrewsbury, a top 200 overall prospect in the 24-7 sports composite, which places him as the number five uh, player in the state of Pennsylvania within this 2023 class and the number 29 shooting guard. He's still got work to do at the high school level. As Daniel laid out, we'll see how far he can help take State College high here in the coming days and weeks. Daniel, appreciate you breaking down things, football, basketball, what have you, a little recruiting trail action this time around. We'll talk to you real soon and look forward to your coverage uh, from the Penn State weight room. Max out day on Thursday. You and Mark <laughs> Brennan will be there. I will be uh, stocking up the car and getting my family ready for a family vacation. So I will not be there, uh, but I I'm looking forward to your coverage, and, and mm -hmm. I think a lot of our listeners will be as well. Yeah, going on vacation for Max out day and for a new defensive line coach hire. It's great timing. Nailed it. Yeah. All right. Take care. <laughs> uh, that's right. So I'm going to be on vacation next week. Uh, it's our annual pre-spring ball trip that, that my wife and, and my kid do. Uh, and we're heading somewhere sunny for, for a week. Uh, Daniel, Mark, uh, Tyler, and our whole crew, whether it's Alan and, and Brian and Steve uh, from the recruiting gang, they'll have you covered at lines247.com. I'm back on board with about 48 hours to spare before the start of spring ball. So uh, thought it would be a good time of the year to duck out for a little bit. Naturally, the Nittany Lions news doesn't stop, and, and in fact, it ramps up here uh, as February turns into March. We've got you covered here at lines247.com. Another podcast episode later in the week. We've got a great guest lined up for that one. Hopefully, you'll tune into that. Uh, for now, stepping aside, big thanks to each of our guests on this edition, Alan True, Tyler Calvaruso, and Daniel Gallen. I am Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon right here on the Lions 24 7